The following contains adult language, content, and descriptions of actions not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Guru Presario Media presents the Guru Presario Podcast, starring me, Mal Sanchez. The word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot, but it's defined by very few. Join me as I sit down with those that I've come to know, and through the art of conversation, we can all learn a little something from the nature of our work. Let's start the show. Alrighty, guys, another episode of the Guru Presario podcast, episode 24. I'm here with my co-host, Matthew Duke of the Duke Law Firm, of course, and uh, my great friend, Armin Babajanian from the World Affairs Council here in San Antonio. Welcome, Armin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I want to give you a brief moment, Armin. Uh, not a lot of people probably have heard of the World Affairs Council um, as CEO, man. Tell us a little Tell us a little more about it. Well, thank thank you guys for having me, and congratulations for uh, uh, you know first time when we met a few years ago, and we did uh, an informal podcast and slash Facebook Live. Uh, I noticed there's a lot of talent there, and and I'm a big fan of yours, and I'm really happy where where you're going and where the podcast is going, and I'm honored to be part of it. So thank you. Appreciate that. We're we're honored to have you. Thank you, Armin. Uh, the World Affairs Council is is a national nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. Um, it was founded over 100 years ago uh, nationally, uh, and San Antonio was founded in 1982. There were some business leaders, um, Mr. Frost, um, uh, Lila Cockrell, um, Mr. Butt, all these people got together and they said that, you know, the international arena is, is an important one. And in order to play a, an important role and have San Antonio, not only the the a large city, top 10 large city in the country, but we need to keep it that way and, and, and also heighten um, the, the interest level of people in order to do business here, in order to have families here. And so they brought the World Affairs Council to San Antonio in 1982. And uh, to put it very in, in basic terms of what the council does, it is, a, it is a, f- uh, a platform in order to educate the community about international affairs. Um, now, we're, we're not the experts, but we create the platform so that we bring people or organizations or entities or nonprofits that share what they are doing around the world. We like to say we take San Antonio to the world and bring the world to San Antonio. Yeah, that's it. That's I mean, to me, I know that's important. But why, why should conversations like that be important here? I think th- I think the best way to describe that is. Um, if you and I know we're going to talk about Poland later yeah. when I lived in Poland, but uh, when I moved there and 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 we could dive into it more about yeah. my experience there. But when I moved there, uh, I didn't know the language. Um, I somewhat knew the culture. Um, I didn't know anybody there. Uh, I had this wonderful opportunity to go and start a nonprofit, the Big Brother Big Sister program. Uh, and I thought about it. I prayed about it. I talked to my friends about it. And um, uh, I had this list going. I had 25, 4, and 24 against. And, uh, and so finally I said, you know what? What's the worst that could happen? And I went there, and um, it was hard at first because two things. One, it's a brand-new country. And the other thing is um, the Polish people are very closed off with all the stuff they've been through historically 
they they just don't trust people as much. They're very uh, introverted, um, and so it took a lot of time. and And the way we connected was doing stuff like this at coffee shops and getting to know each other and understanding why they were closed off, understanding why I wasn't closed off, understanding um, each other and where we're coming from. Um, and, and I think that's really critical in order to empathize with uh, people, a population, a culture, uh, or any kind of group. And so I think the, the, at, the, at the basic level, the reason it's important in my mind is uh, it, it creates awareness of what other people are going through. And, and if you don't have that, then you have uh, people who, frankly, you know, they, they don't, uh, not that they don't care, but uh, they're in their own world, they have their own opinions, and, they're, and, and uh, that's where the terms of being against immigrants and, um, uh, and not understanding. There's a lot of ignorance that falls mm-hmm. with not knowing, yeah? Exactly. Exactly. So I think, and that's what a lot of the diplomats do around the world. Uh, I was able to do it uh, in the in the trenches with just common people, everyday people, and it made me realize that that's that that communication and in person interaction is so important, um, and um, and it, it, there's no substitute for it really. Right. And um, and so that's why I feel like some an organization like the World Affairs Council brings that to the forefront uh, because a lot of people in San Antonio, they may not know the, where the countries are or sometimes the names of the countries, uh, much less the, who the leaders are of the, of the countries. Right. Um, but to give them a little bit of insight will be like, Oh, okay. I, I listened to the, uh, d- to the uh, diplomat who worked in Haiti. Okay. This is what, you know, they went through really. They lost a hundred thousand people during their earth during the twenty two thousand eight earthquake. That you know there there's a there's a sentiment of empathy, and I think that's that's the key point to it. It's very important. Uh, pardon, you know, part of my ignorance, but I meant to ask you. Um, you've po- you've posted quite a bit of things happening in Ar- Armenia. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little about that, man, because I I'm super curious. I've been wanting to ask you. It's a tough slope in, in the position I'm in because, you know, we, we're a non-partisan nonprofit, um, and I'm ethnically Armenian, and last year during the, the I guess, around October uh, of 2020, there were some skirmishes between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and if you know the Caucasus, um, and this kind of relates to Russia, actually, because Russia has played a huge role in where we are today, and not only in that in the Caucasus, but also in, in Ukraine and, and and the other former Soviet republics. So there's a there's a piece of land that separates Armenia and Azerbaijan that is predominantly Armenian, and there were some skirmishes that happened, and it developed into a full blown war, and um, and while that was happening, uh, the prime minister of Armenia, who was very very popular. Um, he 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 uh, he made some moves, diplomatic moves that uh, people didn't really agree with. A lot of people didn't agree with, and so there was in, there were internal struggles. Um, and then April rolled around, 
April 24th is, is really significant for Armenians around the world because of the Armenian genocide. And so uh, every presidential candidate since Ronald Reagan has always said to the Armenian community, uh, there was roughly about 3 million living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not 3 million, uh, about, about 1.5 million. And they said that, uh, they always say, uh, yes, Armenians, yes, we will recognize that as genocide of what, the, what happened during the, the turn of the century uh, uh, when the Ottoman Empire was expanding. And, uh, and so we, we get all these promises, left, right, left, right, and the community uh, stands behind a candidate. And then they end up being screwed Pardon the phrase for uh, uh, because after election they succumb to the pressures of Turkey because there's going back to the business aspect of it there there's uh, the strategic area there of where Turkey is Turkey's relationship with Azerbaijan uh, Syria I mean Turkey is a in whether Armenians like it or not they're they're an important part of that region a very right. important part and so all of a sudden President Biden rec- says and recognizes the Armenian genocide. And so uh, that has transpired just just in the last year. And then the prime minister has had issues because of his dealings, and uh, he recently won, but it was a tough battle. You had some former Soviet leaders who, uh, who were in power during the, during the communism come out and run for office, and they were getting popular. And so... It was a nation divided, and and we're the Armenian people were so small that it was uh, it was hard to swallow that as someone who's in my mind an independent and who um, can see can see some sides to, uh, to to a situation. But it was it's been a it's been a struggle, and even just yesterday, um, Azerbaijan um, killed an Armenian soldier um, in in that region. Um, and, and this is, there is no fighting going on right now, but there's right. still some, there, it's, it's a very there. tension, uh, that area is really, uh, particularly since October of 2020 is, is at its peak. Thank you for asking about that because, of course. uh, a lot of people don't know about Ar- Armenia. Um, uh, in fact, the other day, uh, someone said, oh, you're Romanian. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I was like, no, no, a little, little, little bit more to the right, uh, Geographically, not, right, not right, politically, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so so it it, it goes back to uh, understanding what's happening around the world, and it, and this is one small thing that is uh, taking place as we speak. Right. Yeah. Pardon my ignorance on that, man. I just no, I had no, to. I've been meaning to ask you. I think it's important. You know, whoever's listening also is taking note. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Poland. Talk yeah. about Poland living, man. Oh man, it's uh, how would I describe Poland? Um, to give you some background, and and and, and Matt, you'll appreciate this. Uh, well, both of you as as, as uh, business professionals, uh, there was a young man uh, who was a little brother in the Big Brother Big Sister program. This was in the early '80s, late '70s, much earlier, I guess. He lived in Dallas, had a great experience with his big brother, and. Um, when he graduated uh, from high school, he got a scholarship, on a football scholarship to Rice. Uh, from Rice, he went to Stanford Business School. Sharp guy, very smart. 
And um, this was in the uh, mid-90s or so. The wall had come down. One of his friends, who's an entrepreneur, said, you know what? The wall is down. Get your butt over to Warsaw. There's a lot of opportunity here. He goes there as just to test it out. Well, he hasn't left since. Um, he, he does international commercial real estate. Nice. He opened up uh, AIG Lincoln in Warsaw. He opened it up in Prague, in Budapest. Um, and I'm missing one more. Prague, Budapest, Moscow, I think. And, um, and, and did very, very well. He eventually uh, bought out AIG Lincoln. So now he's got his own. It's called White, uh, Whitewater. It's not Whitewater Investment. Whitewater was the Clinton thing, right? White, <laughs> white Snake, Whitewater, something white. Something white. That's a great yeah. band, by the way. Oh, That's yeah. I'm going to have to put that song as it's fading in. Thank God. I'll have to tell you about my, my experience in uh, uh, going to concerts in Poland in a second because yeah, yeah. that, that, that's kind of fun, uh, bringing up uh, White Snake. Uh, well, actually, whenever I think about White Snake, I think about that video in the car. And yeah. I think everybody does, right? Every teenage boy does, uh, or adult, I guess. Um, so, so he became very successful, and um, he, uh, he, he came to a point where he said, I want to give back. And, and he decided he was going to create uh, a few nonprofits. One of them was Big Brothers Big Sisters. He reached out to the national office. Uh, long story short, I got a call. Armin, do you want to move to Warsaw and start it up? Picked up my cats and moved <laughs> no, to Warsaw. Man. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, and, um, and like I said earlier, it was, it was, uh, it was a tough transition uh, in the beginning, um, but, you know, Matt, what, what really helped me, and, you know, sometimes you go through some tough situations and you don't know why you're going through them. Yeah. So if I rewind a little bit, uh, when my parents came here, they, they immigrated from Armenia in 1975. And they came, typical immigrant story. They had nothing. My, I think my dad said he had $150. Um, they landed in New York, and they were trying to find a community that they they were familiar with, and they said, okay, well, there's uh, Massachusetts as Armenians there, and and then you have Southern California. So they moved to Southern California. And my dad, who is a physician um, in in uh, in Armenia and also Iran, he was act, they were actually he was born in Iran, and uh, he had to start all over again. He was wow. working at a hospital, but he was actually cleaning floors. And while he was trying to learn English, while he was um, working another, you know, two, three jobs to support his family. Were they not recognizing his doctorate or his MD or what was, what was that disconnect? Well, the MD was, the MD was recognized, but you had to go through, and they've made it a lot better now, but you had to go through residency and internship again. Oh, right. Uh, they accept some of them, but especially with their wrong being it that it's Iran, some of that is not transferable. And then they were asking for things that he did, you know, they had to go back and no one's, no one in Iran is sitting in an office right. sending stuff to the U.S. Right. That, Faxing uh, a transcript. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> See, if they had FaceTime, they would be able to yeah. do it. Yeah, it's true. And so, um, so he, uh, and then in order to get those residencies and internships, you had to, pass what was called the foreign medical exam 
foreign, uh, it, it's, a, it's another term, but it's basically right. you have to, t- in order, and it's a very tough exam. You have, you know, you know English, you have to know your stuff. And so there, there were a lot of hurdles to go through. And it took some time for that to happen, plus adjusting to an environment that is not familiar. Right. And so while that was happening, we moved around a lot. So we moved, I was born and raised in Southern California. From there, we went to Corpus Christi. We went to Brooklyn, New York. Nice. We lived in Connecticut. We lived in Oklahoma, El Paso, uh, Missouri. And, um, and so we lived all over. And uh, I don't know if I felt it at the time, but it sucked because it was, I was always the new kid mm. at yeah. school. And so what my goal was when I would go to these schools is, is try to find common ground with people. I didn't do it intentionally. It just kind of, I, I kind of realized I'm the new guy. Oh, uh, Mal likes tattoos. Okay, so let me talk Let me talk to him about tattoos. Oh, Matt's a lawyer. Let me ask him, you know, talk to him about some legal stuff. Yeah. And so that kind of inherently happened with people and, and uh, not knowing that that was preparing me for living in Poland because mm. I think that set the foundation for trying to uh, interact with not only people in Brooklyn, but people... In Warsaw, Poland, who didn't even speak the language. Right. Um, and by the way, Brooklyn, if you're familiar with New York, yeah. my my dad, being as smart as he is in a lot of things, um, uh, took the opportunity. He was working at a hospital. The hospital said, hey, you know what? Um, you could live across from the hospital, and it's a hospital-owned apartment complex. It's significantly cheaper and we would deduct it from your paycheck. And my dad thought it was a great idea. Nice, yeah. We move to Brownsville, Brooklyn. If you know where Brownsville section of Brooklyn is, that's where Lala Zato, Mike Tyson, all those people grew up. We move in. I would look down from the, we were on the eighth, eighth floor, and I could see drug deals happening. Um, uh, first day of school, one kid got stabbed. Uh, rough neighborhood. It was, it was not the most... Uh, it was my, it was not safe at all, and um, luckily we knew some other people. We moved from Brownsville to Canarsie, or as they like to say, Canassie. <laughs> and uh, Canarsie had um, uh, uh, it was a smaller, a small neighborhood, kind of going toward. Um, I'm messing up my geography, but I I think it goes while you're on your way to uh, Long Island. Okay, and. Um, and, 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 and there I had to, when the stabbing happened, I was like, okay, I don't know if I could have my lunch in the cafeteria. Right. So I, uh, one of my chemistry teachers, Mr. Goldstein, uh, I befriended him. He let me have lunch in the chemistry lab. And so, nice. uh, so that's what happened. So all of that being said, when I moved to Poland, I was able to do that proactively and, and reach out to people and connect with them and find some common ground with them right um and then after that it was great once the poles knew that i was uh in the beginning they were like are you with the cia they're like do you come in peace <laughs> yeah do you come in peace your big brother what? <laughs> yeah big brother. What is a big brother <laughs> <laughs> and who's this big sister you speak of uh, and so there there was a little bit of that but once once they uh began trusting me and the organization, then it then it just skyrocketed, and we were able to replicate what we were, what I was doing in the states. 
Um, life was great uh, and uh, walked around a lot uh, for $30 a month. You could ride unlimited bus, tram, train. Uh, for someone who loves to drive, I, I, I just love taking public transportation. It's the best. Uh, traveled, you know, through Europe and Eastern Europe. And um, it was a very humble, humbling experience. Um, and it comes back to your initial, you know, why, why what, what the World Affairs Council does is important. Mm-hmm. Is, is also this kind of plays into it. As, as I would meet with the families who would sign their kids up for the program to get mentors. And if you were to take an, the typical family who signed a kid up and the typical kid and you compared it to the American, there's really no difference. They were both experiencing similar things. Usually there's no, not a father in the house, uh, kids experiencing ADD, um, uh, poverty. Uh, and, and so uh, that really, uh, for me, was eye-opening because you have two different worlds that are the same at the end of the day. Um, I, I'm so glad I, I didn't pay too close attention to my grid I'd made 25 and 24 against uh, and that I didn't go because uh, it, was, it was a learning experience. It was a, a growth both personally and professionally um, experience, and um, I'm just glad I did it. Right. Thanks for sharing that. So it's interesting. So the social determinants were the same. Mm-hmm. That's you know fascinating, right? Because people just think, oh, it's, it's completely different over. No, I mean, the human nature and what we go through. It's just whether there's better support systems a lot of time to deal with those social determinants here versus somewhere else. But humanity is largely humanity. You're um, absolutely right. You know, I think again we talked about healthcare. We talk a lot about social determinants of you know of of healthcare, but just in looking at the social settings of that, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. For sure. I mean, we would go into an apartment, and and so uh, I was in charge of organizing the organization, putting it together, uh, and then hiring people. The first person I hired was someone who was Polish uh, speaking, so that they could communicate with the family. So the fam the 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 families didn't speak English. The children, some of them did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my job was the organizational aspect of it and also recruiting volunteers. The, now, the volunteers were business professionals, um, mostly Polish, but there were a lot of expats and, um, and, and people from all over the world and a lot of international businesses there. So um, my role was to recruit, establish relationships. I mean, we had Deloitte there. <clears throat> Excuse me. We had Deloitte there, mm-hmm. PwC, Norton Rose, I think was there. So it was, uh, it was very easy. It was like working in San Antonio when I would go and make presentations to Cox Smith, for example. Right. It was like Deloitte was like the same thing, right? Um, and then also the volunteers. Some of the volunteers, uh, they would have the same. You know, we're talking about the social aspects of the kids and the families. You were, you were talking about Matt is also on the volunteer side, someone didn't want to volunteer. They'd be like, oh, I, I don't have any time, and I don't know. And so the excuses <laughs> were the same, too. Uh, but and, and also the impact was the same. And so when you put two people together um, who didn't know each other, that's a foreign concept to them. I mean, I, in the beginning, I would do presentations, and and, some, and one of the schools was like, uh, or one of the, one of the um, organizations that I met with, 
they said, so you want to introduce a child to an adult who they have never met, they're not related, and you want them to interact with each other? I'm like, yeah. It's like, why? <laughs> and, and, and what's in it for the volunteer if they're not getting paid? Right. That's the mentality right. of, of a lot of it. And so a lot of hurdles to overcome, but you know what? With time and building those relationships, that, that's what it, uh, I think if there's any takeaway from this podcast is what people can do outside of what they're doing in their everyday life is to establish those relationships, um, uh, whether it's for business or, for, or professionally or for personal uh, growth. Is, is, is really cultivating relationships in person, particularly now that we can meet in person. Right. Yeah, and it's universal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the fascinating thing. Um, I mean, you would figure, well, yeah, no, d- you know, duh. But, you know, p- so many times we think being here in the United States, oh, well, the rest of the world's different, especially when you look at the Middle East, when you look at, you know, the Eastern European block that's there we think uh, you know africa you know we think oh that's different but it's not it really isn't um it really isn't we're we're, we're the same so fascinating you're but absolutely right we you know uh, uh when we were transitioned from in-person events to doing virtual events one young man i reached out to who was a un <coughs> excuse me a un youth uh advocate in ghana i i one day noticed that on instagram there was a young man following us. And sometimes I pay attention, sometimes I don't. I noticed he was a youth advocate for the UN in Ghana. And I messaged him and I said, how would you like to be on our program? And he said, absolutely. And so to your point, um, when I connected with him, we started, you know, I I like to eat if you can't tell. So I start off about talking about food. And and so that brought a smile to him. It broke the ice. um, and, And, you know, RIP, Anthony but, uh, Bourdain, because uh, Bourdain, yeah. that, that's what he was doing. He was, he was like a diplomat in, mm-hmm. in a yeah, sense. Connect you know? over a meal. Yeah, yeah. There's a quote he said, I forgot what it was, but about connecting with people, the easiest way to connect, I think, was through food. Yeah, for sure. Um, tell me a little about China, Russia, Iran. <laughs> Touch that <laughs> All subject the other a little bit, man. Yeah. Wow, what's going on now? Well, you know, what's going on in Cuba? Yeah. Um, other than their cigars, I don't know too much about. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a cigar connoisseur, right? Of course. Um, you know, it's, I think there's a, I think there's hope down the line. Um, they're so close to the U.S. People love going there. Uh, the people are just sick and tired. Right. They're sick and t- it's It's kind of like the old Soviet republics and the Eastern Bloc. Who, who are tired of waiting in line, who are tired of not getting... Cuba, I was reading, has they, they export medical supplies. It's one of their things. But they don't have medicine to give to their own their people. Their own people, yeah. Mm-hmm. Saddest thing. It's crazy. It's crazy. And um, so you're seeing, you know, the, the, the Castros have been gone for a while, and so you, the, the, the new guys continuing what they have done. And I think the people are just frankly tired of it, and mm-hmm. more so than ever before. And uh, hopefully, something good will come out of it, and and they'll be, you know, uh, people will be free, and they'll be able to do business with other countries other than China and Venezuela. And <laughs> right. What What does that I mean? If the Communist Party falls, right? 
what does a post-communist party Cuba look like in terms of the world stage? I think the best way to compare it is um, perhaps some of the Eastern Bloc countries you, you, and probably even uh, a more brighter future than some of the Eastern Bloc countries who have transitioned from a communist state to where they are now. You look at a country like uh, Estonia and uh, Poland and uh, any of the Baltics, um, even Armenia with all the problems they've had, um, it has taken a lot of time. That's, that's one thing. It's not going to happen even, even if there is a transition. You're going to find uh, a lot of hurdles. You're going to find a lot of people eager to take over that uh, power. Um, you're probably going to have corruption right. as well. Um, I think it's going to, I think it would uh, it potentially down the line, I don't know how many years, I'm, I'm not an expert or anything, right. but I could foresee with, with, with having a capitalist system, having uh, a place, a destination, it already is a destination for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but to, to, to be on another scale. Right. Um, and, and uh, I think, and, and also a future where people there are able to make a living and not suffer at the very least. Um, and I think it's very doable. And the proximity, I think, is, uh, you know, you have, the, you have the, dias the Cuban diaspora that is very much involved. They had protests supporting the protesters <laughs> in, in Florida. They had protesters right. supporting the protesters, which is great. Um, so I, I, I think it's a good thing, and I'm very hopeful about, about what's happening. It's just going to take a lot of time. And um, uh, you look at our, we were talking about Armenia earlier. <clears throat> Armenia was, you know, former Soviet Republic, and you still have issues. You still have uh, people who have that Soviet mindset who are still very popular. Uh, that's kind of scary. Right. Um, and um, hopefully, hopefully Cuba, you know, uh, uh, has some sort of transition because of this, and, and, um, and, and, we can maybe do a podcast from there sometime. Yeah, I mean, I hope there, I hope there's a light there at the end of the tunnel. Um, just specifically, I mean, being in New York this past week, you know, seeing some of those protests, uh, talking to some some Cubans there, and that have family there. It's definitely a scary thing, man. If I had family in Cuba right now, I don't know what I would think. Like, <laughs> do I swim across over there and try to create ease in whatever situation they're feeling? Because it's just scary having if you had parents there. Um, you think the U.S. has some type of role in that? I know there's a lot, and I say that because there's a lot of conversation going around that, oh, well, it's the U.S.'s fault and right. such and such. But, um, yeah, I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts if you could touch on any of that, man? I think, yeah, I mean, there's the embargo, and it, right. it was tightened up more during the previous administration. And... Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure the embargo plays into right the economic the economic it, situation inevitably. Uh, but I think what what the president said recently was it has to come from within, right? And whether that's help from the U.S., which historically <laughs> has has been throughout right. the world, um, I guess that's fine. But I think it it, it organically has to come uh, from from within the population. I think I think that's probably the best way for for them for them to take ownership. I mean, you look at 
Uh, look, look at what's happening in Afghanistan now. People are freaking out because the U.S. is pulling out. Right. Um, and I don't know what the right answer is, but it's it's a tough situation. You saw what happened in Iraq when we pulled out. Yeah. And everything, the aftermath that happened. And uh, President Bush criticized Bi uh, President Biden recently, just yesterday, I think. What did he say? Um he said that it's very sad. He said this is a this is not a good decision, and um, it he feels like it's going to get really bad. Um, it might, um, and th there's a vacuum there. And uh, the Taliban has eighty; they control eighty percent of the country of the country now. Right, and it is since the announcement that has increased steadily. Um, so now it depends on if they're able to. Um, you know, what their objective is, is it to look internally and, and do what's best for the Afghan people, or is it to do what they've done before, which is to condemn people like, you know, governments like the U S and focus on terror and, and, and focus on that. I mean, there might be that there still might be elements of that. I wouldn't surprise me if, if they went that route. Uh, and so some generals, uh, there, there was, a um, someone, a former general who was speaking about this and said um, he doesn't think that they have the uh, organizational power that they once did to, uh, to, do, to, have an, to be an external threat. But some are saying that, that, that even with, without their previous organizational skill set, that they're still uh, potentially can create havoc, and, and which is a security threat to the U.S. Of course. And I mean, other positions, you know, other countries see that as an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. They U.S. bails. There's a lot of progress done, but, you know, anyone who's hostile against the U.S. could potentially go there and create that infrastructure now that now that it's open, right? It's, you know, it's 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 mind boggling because you see, you, you know, you when you look at uh, like minded individuals like ourselves, you know, sitting around and talking like this. You would think that people in power <laughs> would have the interests of the of the people at hand, uh, but you get egos involved, you get the power involved, and you get money involved, right? And it becomes a whole another ball game and um, and corruption. And I mean, we uh, I hate to go back to Armenia, but that's it's it's it has hit home with us. We were the the and there were several entities raising money for Armenia, millions of dollar raised. And then we come to find out that it was being funneled through and embezzled and whatnot. I mean, this is trying to help the communities. And it's not only prevalent in Armenia, it's, it's, it's other places too. And there's really no checks and balances um, from, you know, funding that comes from uh, overseas. And so they just take advantage of it. And people are power hungry. It's, it's unfortunate. Right. What do you see from, I mean, COVID is, is not done. Um, COVID destabilized, right? It was a black swan event. So if we look at it just from a business standpoint, black swan event, it disrupted lives, it disrupted culture, it disrupted technology, it disrupted everything, right? And we found ourselves in a new normal and we don't know what it is from a diplomacy standpoint in the world stage. It looks like the aftermath of what happened with um, COVID, we're just now learning what our new diplomatic role is, what the new global economy is like. You've got 
China, which appears to be very opportunistic to take major steps to take over Hong Kong and to reduce democracy, to take a, you know, they were very opportunistic, to take a very large step towards communism. You now have the Soviet Union in secret that may be starting to peek its head back out with Russia, who always, at least they believe, they're the smartest men in the room. Um, coming back out with more to play with disruptions in the Middle East, with disruptions in the Eastern Bloc. How does how do you see diplomacy for San Antonio mm -hmm. in its international relationships, maybe even global or, or, or national? How do you see that role fitting in on how we now play on that world stage now that it's all changing? That's a that's a really good question, um, and there, there there are multiple areas to to uh, to address with that. Um, I think nationally speaking, on a national level, uh, you, you also had diplomacy was different with the administrations. Sure. Right? Um, in the transition from W to Obama to, uh, to Trump and now to Biden. And so you, have, you, you had a non-traditional administration. And I think that created... Um, at least from my understanding, it created uh, uh, uncertainty. And in some instances, uh, going back to my political science days, of rational actors and, and sure. uh, the, the prison dilemmas and all that stuff. Um, and, and so that instability seemed to have worked with some uh, and, and not worked with others. <clears throat> and it seemed like it may have put a band-aid on some of the more authoritative regimes of being unpredictable like what is the u.s going to do next uh you know they they might do something that uh would be very detrimental to us so maybe uh and i'm thinking of north korea maybe we won't ruffle feathers for now right um so i i think i think there's a shift now uh as far as diplomacy is concerned there's a it's it's back to the traditional uh, and 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 again, pros and cons to that. And uh, as far as locally, we have an amazing international relations. The city has, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not just saying that because of the head of it is sits on my board of directors, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sherry Dohalat Shahi. Uh, she's the chief of diplomacy for the uh, Global Engagement Office. They are every day living and breathing uh, global issues and trying to make sure that San Antonio is at the f uh, ahead of the game rather than behind it and, and trying to put San Antonio on the map even more so. And so that has to do with the businesses that are potentially coming here. Um, at the end of the day, it's how are people going to, you know, you, you're going to, if you have a foreign entity here, a business, um, how are they going to click with San Antonio? Mm -hmm. I'll give a very good example which I think you all would appreciate. Uh, there's a company called Medtronic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're right over there off of um, I-10 and Days of Allah. And uh, when they first came here, I think they, they, they manufacture the, um, the pump, the insulin pumps uh, for, for uh, patients who are diabetic. And um, I met with them in order to, you know, collaborate with them and, and, and ask for funding. Ultimately, that's, that's what it means. And, uh, but the guy who was in charge, he, they were part of a team to decide where they were going to be, uh, have Medtronic. And they were looking at San Antonio. They're looking at Austin and Kansas City, I think. 
they were looking at three or four cities in in up and down 35 and a little bit to the east of it. And so the reason he said the reason what we did in all those cities, I would get in the car with my team, and we would drive around. Um, they would get the. Um, they would have meetings with local people too, with the formal, you know, bells and whistles and dinners and river walk and all that, which was fine because, you know, that's a sales pitch basically. But they would get in their car and they would drive around and get lost. They would stop and ask for directions. And they did that in San Antonio and they got very, they were treated very nicely. People went out of their way to help them. And they said that was, that was one of the main reasons why we came here. Wow. Um, and so, so um, the the local, uh, and I think that has a lot to do with how the local um, entities, the San Antonio, um, uh, now it's called Great, is it Greater SA or um, the San Antonio Economic Development Foundation? I don't, I, there's been some mergers, I think, right, where they all kind of, I don't know what the absolute name ended up being. Yeah, so the Jenna Salcedo who runs that, she's uh, she's a visionary, and 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 she's uh, she and her team have have done an extraordinary job to uh, to get businesses, uh, you know, on the south side, Port San Antonio, in that area, um, and and we see the fruits of their labor coming in with uh, companies from Japan and Korea and France, and um, so her her team is doing some great work. Then you have the city, who is doing in conjunction with the with what uh, Jen is doing in trying to attract people uh, more relationally rather than the economic aspect of it. Um, so they they are a powerhouse team and then not to mention all the there are so many entities and individuals who are doing things that I'm not aware of. Uh, and I know Commissioner Calvert who, who you've uh, you've had on he's also big on this in yeah. trying to get more businesses um, here international and he's got a personal passion for that so i don't know if i answered your question but i think there's uh there's a national scope of uh which which really depends on who's setting you know what the administration is doing what their vision is and 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 they set the tone of it and then there's the local aspect of it which there's a lot more control uh, uh control over because um it's smaller and and there's less it's less bureaucratic yeah now that that answered my question great i, I do have a follow-up for yep. you though that just thinks comes to mind i've got a couple of clients and i think we you know san antonio i grew up here so for as long as i can remember there's always been a lot of outreach internationally to bring international business to san antonio with globalization though i've now witnessed with clients friends you know those sort of things of the challenges San Antonio businesses face on the global stage. And, you know, whether it's suppliers, a great client, literally he has been trying to get supplies for his product for the last nine months mm. um, and is just now getting to that because, you know, he's a startup and he's manufacturing, um, you know, things and he couldn't get raw goods. Got other clients that were dealing with shipping issues. Um, to be able to get product that was stuck in the Suez Canal, right, that caused those sort of things. And those are situational things. But what is it that are out there that are resources? Because I don't know any, and so that's why I'm asking the question. That helped San Antonio businesses play on the international, um, you know, uh, scale. 
Mm-hmm. Are the resources for those? Because I know we're bringing them in. I mean, like the Thompson Hotel, that was international investors, and some local investors were also involved in that as well. But what are we doing to help those San Antonio, South Texas businesses? To to help them stay, you mean? Uh, to, to be able to connect to the globe. I mean, globalization, I mean, again, we were talking earlier before we came on air. I mean, we're having, you're having people from Europe and Asia on your, you know, you're interacting with, I'm dealing with people in Belgium and, um, you know, in the Philippines and stuff. I mean, COVID, that's one of the great things from a technology connected us even more across the entire world, more than I would have ever thought I would have at this point in stage. It's the same thing for business owners, right? They're connected with customers and, and people on a global scale now, which is, unheard of um 10 years ago are we doing anything here to help our san antonio south texas businesses play on that stage that's a good question i I don't know if i have the i know the answer to that um i know that i have friends who do uh uh, business with mexico for example right and and they don't feel like they have support sometimes um they um uh, they they don't have the incentives sometimes it's uh tax incentives sometimes uh, their logistics or, or, or maybe not having um, uh, anyone to advocate for them. Um, I know one particular person who's significantly affected because not only of, of what COVID happened, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. that they're not able to um, put themselves on the map. They're just not, they, they don't, so I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Because it's interesting too, sorry, again, I think I took this off a little bit, but if you looked at exports, right, mm-hmm. the, the trade deficit, mm-hmm. I don't know, I actually haven't looked it up, but I mean, two months ago, it was, it was at a all-time record, right? I mean, we were basically just ex- importing in everything that we were just devouring as a society. And so, I, again, maybe that's the seed that comes out of this is, well, what are we doing to grow our own here? Um, and then export what we have here versus just import. Because again, there's lots of great, and, it, and it's great because we need the jobs. It helps improve our workforce skill set. It helps, there's, you know, just Toyota coming in, right? Look at all the other different local businesses that were able to, from that one import to be able to, to develop. But I just wonder if we're not putting enough knowledge and effort around that exporting of what we already currently have or what we're going to grow naturally. I, I, that's a very valid concern and point. Uh, I mean, I know uh, you have companies um, uh, like Valero and USAA who do who do things abroad, and um, I don't know what kind of support they get, uh, but yeah. they seem to be doing well. Sure. Uh, but some of the smaller entities and businesses don't have that. Right. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. I think what, uh, and we talked about COVID earlier, uh, the impact of COVID, uh, at least from my circles, uh, there was a big pro to that. For example, in, in, in my Rotary Club, we we're having virtual mixers with business leaders around the world. Hmm. Uh, Indonesia, uh, Poland, uh, we, were, we were just having Rotary meetings virtually. Um, and this doesn't directly impact that, but I think that that's part of, that's part of what you're talking about is yeah. how to, how, how, um, how you connect with, uh, people externally and, and, and COVID allowed that, allowed that to happen, uh, somewhat. I know that, um, there were so many things that we did that we would not have been able to do, uh, where you sit across the screen and interact with each other. Um, I am, I think the business sector also may have had that, but it may be a lot harder 
uh, for businesses to have to create synergy just through a Zoom call, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, in most of that interaction, it was phone call or somebody got on an airplane for a face-to-face meeting, right? It wasn't as easy as, a hey, let's just connect. Right. Literally. Right. Like, <laughs> we just connected, right? I mean, that, 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 that's been helpful to us, for, you know, to, to the business community for sure. So, well, food for thought. Yes. Yes. Good points. Interesting. Speaking of COVID, cases going up. Matt, you'd mentioned something earlier. Tell me a little about that, man. Are cases really going up? You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, cases are going up, right? But right. if we, you know, if we look at trend lines, no one wants to see a trend go up. Right. I, I think that if you look at, you know, from, from some of the people I'm asking around in the healthcare here locally and just, again, being in the industry and knowing, you know, right now there's there's no, there's no nobody's sounding the alarm. Right. I mean, Let's cases, preface, there's a lot of fear, right? Fear in the media right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, the and, and we can go into the debate about, you know, why is there that fear? Who's, you know, promulgating that fear? Is it necessary? You know, the, um, you know, the vaccine rates have plateaued. And so then there's some of that. Is this enough to get the next, you know, do- doses of vaccine? Because I saw yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, we're only, we, we've basically plateaued at around 48, 49%. I don't think we've actually made it to, to half of, of the population. Um but again, from, you know, the people that I talk to, and again, this is hearsay, you know, right now, um, we don't, we still don't know a lot. Um, it, it's going to be fascinating over time as we actually learn of the impact, what we went through. Right. Um, you talked about Brooklyn. There was, I remember nine months ago, they were doing um, testing into the sewage and who knows how the science works, right? But they were looking through the sewage, and they thought, but when New York was getting hit hard, I mean, really, really, really hard, that like something about seventy percent of the people in that community—I don't remember where it was—had already had it. Oh wow! And you're going, well, who knows? Again, I think the wow. science and the technology—it'll be interesting as they learn what was truth and what was not truth, and you know, at least the people that I know, they're, they're not too concerned about it. I mean, those that are the highest risk, you know, should be vaccinated. And I think that's, that's the, the blessing that came from this. So that way those with health issues and, you know, that are higher risk have a defense against it. And then we'll, we'll just see. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of people, um, that uh, business owners, I've asked them to, you know, mass mandates are starting to come back. Right. They're, LA got implemented what this past week. I mean, I was at a coffee this morning and I had the, you know, the gator and I didn't know I was meeting somebody with one of the you know big businesses here. And I just said, Hey, you know, are you okay? Up, down, what? No, down. What's going on at your workplace? Oh, we're never going back to masks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, being in healthcare, I will tell you, and some people are going to disagree, but the flu was a big deal is a big deal, right? For those that are at risk, the elderly, those I remember in, 2014 we had a nasty case of the flu um and it by no means was covid and for all those watching i'm not comparing covid to the flu but it was a massive thing that just that year the vaccination just didn't work and it was you know it was not killing people but it was making people extremely ill and we were probably more overrun in our hospitals than we were with covid but that's also because you know, stay in place really, you know, kept it down. I think COVID if burning through would have completely overloaded our, our healthcare system. Um, But I think that's what my 
you know, the people I know are thinking is we're going to see some of these variants come through and people get very sick, whether they've been vaccinated or not, but it's going to be more akin to the effect of what a flu was not, you know, what was going on during there, but we'll see. Right. I, I don't know the business community. I, I'm not hearing anybody in the business community, at least in the, in, in San Antonio advocating for a mask. In fact, they think it's going to completely harm. And I've had the whole conversations. We never should have done masks, which I don't agree with. I think we should. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's what I know. Not much. Interesting, man. Yeah, I, I, um, I think my two cents with that, uh, with with the recent um, mask mandate in LA County. Yep. And um, is we have come to a point um, where we look at our leaders for direction, right? And there was a point. And I, I, I don't know if there's a research or will if, if there will be or there has been research done to look at where it happened. And, but there was a point where it became a political issue, right? Right. It, was, it wasn't uh, what is going to keep you safe is, is that this part is saying that I, I have my freedom, I don't want to wear the mask, and, the, and this thing is a... Uh, as a hoax to the other side was like, we should stay home and lock the doors and, and uh, wear masks whenever we're out in public. Um, I don't, I don't know where the, uh, the blame should be, so to speak, but there is, there is a disconnect. There was a disconnect. And um, I, I wish, and I think it happened on the local level more constructively than on the national level. And uh, I think the leaders were a little, were more in sync locally. Um, but even with that, I think you you had um, you had you didn't have people on the same page, right? And uh, I don't know. I you know I listened. I, I I'm a fan of Joe Rogan, and and you know people always talk about uh, they got they go on his show and they talk about uh, conspiracies and whatnot. But I you know you start to think is what was being on one side or the other uh, strategically beneficial to one side or the other? And, and at the end of the day, did people care about or think about what's in the best interest in order to keep people safe? And I, I'm not sure if that actually happened, but, uh, but it comes down to, again, the relational aspect of it. I think that uh, the issue with COVID and how it divided people more was that prior to that there was there were divisions already happening, and um, and I think it comes down to not people not empathizing with each other, not knowing each other, not uh, and it and it's cultural, political, re- religious, race, everything, um, and and I think it just kind of blew up, and I don't know where that's going to go, right? Um, we so not on the political side, but I mean I've had this conversation with a couple of people. So lawyers live in the gray. That's what we live in all day long, right? But we as people, we want yes or no, right? Binary, yes, no. And I want it to be whichever answer I want, right? But people want to live in black, but the world is gray. From Just from you know what happened on COVID, right? You're exactly right. It became binary. Either you believe this or you believe that. There was no gray, right? goes back to prisoner's dilemma. You brought yeah. that up, brother, right? The 
best economic choice was cooperation, not self-preservation. Self-preservation did not maximize the utility going all the way back to that, right? But that was, you know, we go back to. I, the, the problem and the interesting thing is, Will, we are so polarized on just about every single issue, whether it's political, theological, you know, my favorite color is blank. Where we just we draw those hard lines, is there going to be something that tips us back out? I I, I don't know. Um, but that's it. I mean, the answer is we don't know. We still don't know right. what this is or what it was. But I mean, I can tell you right now. If you know, I've got a friend that's probably going to call me after he sees this, and he's going to tell me how wrong I was. <laughs> and I'm going to say, "Did you realize I lived in the gray? I told you I didn't know what it was." No, no, no. You said this little word right here, which means you believe it's this. No, I didn't. I, I'm telling you right now, I don't know the answer. But we're so quick to have that, and it's back to self-preservation. Whichever yeah. aligns with me, that's what the answer is, and you should do it because I I need that. Yes, I don't think we'll ever get back to where we were before in terms of. I, th- I honestly think we're al- we're always going to be disconnected in some aspect, society, like in the harsh view that we are now. And I'll say I'll, I'll tell you why. Is, uh, there's a there's a documentary that's on um, Amazon. I forgot the name of it, but it has to deal with people plugging into technology and always being plugged into technology. And you know, when you have society that's constantly plugged into you know phone time, there there are interests that pay for advertising, pay for a push of a narrative that I think consumes someone. And unless you, I mean, there's individuals that know how to disconnect from this, right? Let's turn phone time off for eight hours out of the day. But there's some people that do not know how to do that and they don't take the time to disconnect from that, read literature, learn history, um, learn about the repercussions of whether it's ultra nationalism or you know some of these things that aren't necessarily healthy in their heavy doses, and I think that's always going. You know, so long that society follows that path, there's going to be a disconnect. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a harsh disconnect between people. Yes. Um. Yeah. I, I don't think we'll ever get back to you know, the normality of having um, disagreements that are healthy, I think, as a society. You really? You don't think? I don't, man. I just have a cynical view of, of where, we're, where we're headed in terms of how this controls life. And, you know, I don't, I don't know when, when we made that leap, what year that was, but it's definitely heavy now. I mean, you just see people all day. But the same thing that... Okay, Black Swan, right? Yeah. On our own, I agree with you. Okay. Right? I mean, we're on a trend line, you, you marketers. You call it engagement, right. right? But just like every, you know, power, superpower you have, it can be used for good or bad, right? right. <laughs> and these, you know, marketers know how to use that engagement for like the examples you're talking about. Right. But I mean, there's there's the potential, and I think this is what it's going to take, is something that's going to have to unite us, right? I think back to 9-11, which is a massive tragedy, but actually for a very narrow part of time, completely unified so much. Those are some of the best years, man. I think about that. Um, And again, it just, it was a black swan event. It changed how we looked at the world, which was, 
we thought as the United States, nobody could touch us. And then it was, and then so what happens somewhere else, it doesn't, who, who really cares to the point of, no, we can be touched um, in a big way, um, a catastrophic way. And so it does, I, I wonder if it's something like that. It may be even, and, and I think unfortunately it's going to be a tragedy as opposed to something that unites us because the positive things will only unite us for just a really, I mean, you know, all of the state of, Al- well, half the state of Alabama is about to, you know, reunite to win yet another national championship and have prosperity for the half of the state of Alabama while the other half is mad. So we unite around sports, right, in limited groups. Bad, bad example. Just had to get that in there. <laughs> um, they'll be short-lived. I think the longer ones are unfortunately going to be something that is very detrimental to the global scale, Mm -hmm. whether it's communism um, rearing its head and people seeing really what communism is when you get to be able to look behind the iron curtain, something like that is going to unify us hopefully, but who knows? It could be something bad. It could be nuclear that that gets us Mm -hmm. bad. Those are, you did Joe Rogan. So I went a little Joe Rogan on there to be throw something in who knows, but I think it'll take something like that to try to knock us back on track because we're off track now. Well, I, I do want to say one thing uh, to combine both of what you're saying. I, I, what I'm hopeful about is not, if we get to a place where we're not relying on our political leaders. Correct. Right. And, uh, Although a national crisis or an international crisis, I think, can help, uh, like 9-11, because that really brought people together. Right. I think there are things we could do, like what you're doing with, with your podcast, right? I think individuals have that responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I, was, I had a meeting uh, a few days ago with uh, a friend of mine who is polar opposites politically. We've been trading barbs on social media <laughs> pre-pandemic. And uh, he posted something recently. And and uh, I said, actually, here's the I, – I don't know if this is where you're going, but respectfully, uh, here is the, the fact, it seems, and what you're posting, which was a meme, mm-hmm. uh, a repost, uh, isn't, isn't correct. And so we went a little back and forth. And I said, I met private message them. I said, let's have a cup of coffee. Right. And so we met. We hadn't seen each other for five, six years. Uh, and not because it just didn't work out that way. Right, right. And, um, you know, I think it, it really, knowing that he was on the other side of the uh, spectrum politically, um, it, it, it was a little, I was a little anxious but when we met, it was like when we had last met each other and we just kind of picked up where we left off and we talked. We did talk about a little bit about politics. But what we talked about was I think there's a common ground somewhere. Of course. You could, you could uh, I think what ha- what's happened now is we seek out the differences mm-hmm. rather than seek out the commonality. It goes kind of back to the intro of, of this, you know, I... I could have gone to Poland and say, man, these guys are, they don't want to talk. Uh, what's, what's their problem? Right. Um, you know, they, I pass by them and I say hello and they don't make eye contact and leave. I, you know, they're, they're very closed off. And, um, but I think, I think if individuals uh, take their responsibility to look for that common ground 
and they little by little, if you do it, you do it, Oz does it, I do it, and that is uh, multiplied. Right. Uh, then, then I think our leaders will will see that. Right now, I think the in my mind, I think I think leaders, and I lose use that term loosely, is that there there are people who uh, uh, enjoy this, so to speak, or yeah. benefit from it. And so I think you're right that uh, unless there's something from within, it's kind of like you know you asked about Cuba coming from the people. If it comes from the people, but right now the people are so divided they're they're not looking for common ground right so yeah it gets to the are the people divided so the leaders are divided or were the leaders divided <laughs> that caused the people to divided right it gets back to conspiracy theory and all that sort of stuff yes all we know is today there's division yes that right. is what the one unifying thing we have as a country is we're divided yes That's right all we've got yep. um yeah i think i think finding it within ourselves keeping an open mind this is what i preach every day is just if you open your mind to ideas, you don't necessarily have to adopt them. But um, if you open your mind to ideas, to hearing people out, seeing their perspective, you know, putting all political view aside, um, then, you know, there's a lot to learn. Yes, for Te- sure. Teach your kids. Maybe mm-hmm. we messed it up, but kids, you're not old enough to have messed it up yet. <laughs> no um, kids, man, no kids. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day, maybe. Yeah, yeah but I mean, like with my kids, I, you know, during the riots and everything else, I said we're going to put it on Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. We're going to keep rotating that through. I'm like, notice how it's a little bit different on all three, right? Truth somewhere in there. You right. got to look at all three of those right. to find the truth, of course, right? And I'm like, see how they're showing you the camera shot here? Look how they're showing you the camera shot there. Yep. That might actually be the same street because, look, that car looks like it was in that. But look how they're kind of doing it differently. Understand what you're getting and how you're getting it. Live in the gray. Right? Yes. Right. Um, it's easier to live in black and white because I can find every if – if I'm, if I'm black, I can find everything that supports that I'm black. Yeah. If I'm white, I can find everything that supports that I'm white. And whatever that decision is, again, whether it's my favorite color to – um, you know, the Suns or the Bucks are the better team or LeBron or Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. I don't care what it is. We can polarize ourselves. There's enough information to polarize. Right. Sounds like you're a fan of the color of yellow. That's people usually with like I yellow do. think that I way. I do. My kids said it adorably. <laughs> Lello and everything else. Just a cute thing. The hair. So I'll just take yellow. How old are they? <laughs> uh, three, nine, and 13. In fact, oh, I have a teenager wow. as of yesterday. I am the nice. father of a teenager. So all wow. those gray hairs, that's the reason why that Mal <laughs> likes to show from the aerial <laughs> pic from my son. God love him. Uh, Armin, before we disconnect, man, yes, uh, I'd like to finish my, my podcast with information for the audience, specifically the younger audience that they could learn from. And what, what things have you learned in your, in your, you know, past experiences, your career that, you would advise to the younger audience listening? Expand your Rolodex. Uh, oh. Now, some now the young people probably don't know what a Rolodex <laughs> is. Go to BlackBerry. Oh, wait a minute. No, you can't go to BlackBerry either. Uh, I, I speak. We're making a comeback. I think. <laughs> go on. I'll let you I finish. still I still use business cards all the time, but yeah. Um, I think it's it's exposing yourself to different opportunities, and and I've spoken to uh, young. People, you know, doing college, uh, speaking at colleges and whatnot, um, is, is the takeaway is to expand your network, mm. not for the sake of, okay, you know what, I'm gonna 
I'm going to befriend Mal because one day he's going to put me on the podcast. <laughs> Although that, that was kind of my intention. I knew you were going to make it. So. It's nothing but love here. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's, 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 re- it's, it's being respectful to Matt and to Oz and to you and, and, um, and, and just being kind and uh, not expecting a whole lot, but also keeping an eye out for opportunities. Right. Uh, because each contact could be something. It could be nothing. But you're not losing anything by respecting someone's, someone's thought, opinion. So I, I, what I would say is, um, I'll never forget a, a quick story. When, when, I was, uh, when I lived in Houston, I, got, uh, um, uh, I lost my job because the, the economy was 9-11 had happened and the nonprofit community was, uh, was affected by it. And uh, I had to get unemployment. I was looking for jobs. And I was, you know, and, and people who are unemployed for some time, um, even if they're looking, it really is demotivating. It can really be a, depress- a depressive oh, yeah. state, especially if you're not finding something. And, uh, and I was in that state, and I was walking. I lived right off of Memorial Boulevard <clears throat> in uh, Houston, and I was kind of kicking the curb, walking to my apartment. And uh, I saw this man, this giant guy, and uh, he was unloading something. And I don't know what. I just said, can I, can I help you move that? And he said, yeah, sure. And, and it was a massage table. And uh, he said, my girlfriend's a masseur. And I'm, I'm going to put this in her apartment. I was like, okay. So I helped him up there. And he's like, well, here's my card at the end. He's like, if you need any security, I also do security. And he gave me his card, and it's all it said, his name, it said Hurricane. His name was Hurricane. Big guy, big guy, built. And I said, dude, man, I, I don't need security. I need a job. He's like, oh. Well, I do all the security, all, all the clubs in downtown Houston. If you're looking to make a few dollars, once you come to the key club or whatever it was, um, and you get $20, $30 an hour and, uh, and just work. And so, and so I did that for a few months. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it bought me grocery money. It, it allowed me to get grocery money and whatnot. And, and it was something very small that I'll never forget um, that interaction with him and it was it wasn't something I sought out uh and and it wasn't the only person I would do that to but that's just something that transpired into something positive so what I tell young people is regardless of who the person is even if they're not wearing a tie if they're uh they're not driving a fancy car um show them respect and and keep in touch with them too right that's That's good uh good advice Anything to say before we disconnect, uh, Matt? No, it's been great talking. Enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, Armin, we appreciate you coming Thank in, you. coming Thank up to the studio, making the time to be here. I know we uh, we went a little over time, but forever grateful for that. Mal, uh, you you have a you have a skill set that no one else has, and um, uh, I really appreciate, and I'm very happy for you and for for the podcast and. Um, uh, I didn't even realize we went over an hour. Good thing, man. It's, <laughs> it's not like a bad thing. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. If you guys uh, are not already subscribed, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify um, or iTunes, make sure you subscribe on there. 
And uh, other than that, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again, guys. Thank you.